Welcome to Authors Are Rockstars, a podcast dedicated to YA lit and rockin' music. I'm Michelle. And I'm Allison. And today on the program, we have an interview we recorded a little while ago with CJ Redwine. She was so much fun to talk to. We love her. And her book, Defiance, is fabulous. If you like dystopian-esque fantasy, you need to check it out. And strong female characters, right? Oh, yes. With beautiful hair. Oh, I love beautiful hair. <laughs> I aspire to it. Well, before we get to our interview with CJ, let's talk about our book picks of the month. What have you been reading, Michelle? I am currently reading Eleanor and Park, which is fabulous. It is a 1986 punk rock romance, you know, all mixed together. Like I like how Gail Foreman, her quote that they have with the book is like it's like punk rock infused romance it's gorgeous I read that one a little while ago and I loved it okay now listeners I was all set to tease Michelle because she usually reads fantasy and I was like I can't believe you're reading a contemporary but as she just pointed out it's one set in 1986 yeah it's it's set in 1986 so it's not a contemporary wait it's, like wait I have it's a problem a, with this it's it's a, it's a historical no no <laughs> no kidding. okay like we can't have 1986 as historical that's that's like last year so it's retro yeah yes it's like vintage Okay. Okay. And, and I, I say it's punk rock infused, like, or what, how Gail Foreman put it, but it's not like all about the punk rock. It just has this different feeling to it. I just really like it. It's really fresh and alive. It's so romantic. And the two teens, Eleanor and Park, they love music. So that's why it's punk rock infused. Mm-hmm. It's super so. cute. Oh, it's very sweet. And I what have it. you been reading, Allison? All right. So I just read Golden by Jessie Kirby. <gasps> Yay, Jessie! We love her, our wonderful author who lives close to us, and she's been on our show. And we're going to see her again at Literary Orange. Yay! Yeah, up. we're moderating the YA panel there. We're so excited to see Jessie Kirby again. But yeah, Golden was awesome. I mean, I just love every book by Jessie, and this one was no exception. It was just fantastic. Again, a contemporary that I like. I love Jesse Kirby's books. Yes, but okay, so again with the contemporary, I have to say part of it takes place 10 years ago um, because the main character finds a journal written by a student from her high school 10 years ago. And I was like, mm, 10 years ago, okay, so like late 80s? I'm like, oh, like 2003? <laughs> <laughs> We're getting <Sigh>. old. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so my own issues aside, it was fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, let's get to the interview with CJ Redwine. We are so pleased to be sitting down via Skype today with author CJ Redwine, whose debut novel, Defiance, came out in August of 2012. Thank you so much for joining us, CJ. Thank you so much for having me. Before we jump into our questions, as well as some from our listeners, we'd love it if you'd introduce your book to our listeners. Defiance is a post-apocalyptic fantasy adventure, and I didn't realize I was writing that when I started it. I kind of just had the story in my head, and then as it progressed, I went, okay, well, what is this? It's kind of a genre mashup. So it is the story of Rachel Adams, who lives in a city-state. After a disaster, our continent has reformed into nine city-states, and the area in between the city-states is called the Wasteland, and it's very unsafe to travel through the wasteland because there are bands of highwaymen out there and there's this dragon-like creature that tunnels up from underground and breathes fire and makes you a crispy critter and, you know, your (laughs) life is over. So there are these people that are couriers between the city-states. It's a dangerous job. They have to train hard and be kind of, you know, battle-hardened warriors in order to do this. Rachel's father is a courier. And he sees something he shouldn't, and he disappears after one of his missions. And he's declared dead by Rachel's leader. 
and Rachel doesn't believe that he's dead. She thinks that there's something else that's going on, and of course she's right. And her leader is really just a douche. So <laughs> he, <laughs> he has his own agenda going on. He knows more about what happened than she does. And so she decides that she's going to commit treason against her leader and go out into the wasteland herself and try to rescue her father. And of course, it goes horribly wrong, and she ends up starting a war. Wow. I mean, there's so much action in it, and it's it's such a page-turner. But there's also so much emotion in this. Your characters have a mm-hmm. lot of baggage to sort through. So what inspired you to write such an emotional story? Well, I didn't realize it was going to be when I first started. I think for me, my characters really dictate the journey that we go on. And I think the most interesting people are the damaged people. I'm a damaged person myself, and I really relate to people that are thrust into situations where they have to overcome the things inside themselves as much as they have to overcome the things outside of themselves. And to gain the happily ever after, they have to face down their their biggest fear. And a lot of times our biggest fear comes from inside and not from outside. So when I started this book and things started kind of going wrong for the characters, I went, you know, I'm dealing with some broken people. And I really, really loved that because as hard as it was some of the scenes killed me there's one scene if you've read the book the wagon scene mm-hmm. that just I couldn't I could not write again for three days I was mm-hmm. ruined after that scene but I needed to do it because I wanted to, this entire trilogy to show the journey of someone being shattered and broken like Rachel is she starts out the book pretty innocent pretty naive and confident in her own abilities and tragedy has not really touched her in a way that has left a mark and she ends up shattered and I wanted to show the journey from being shattered to finding redemption. And so the whole trilogy is that journey for Rachel. And then as I got into Logan's voice, I was like, well, hey, we're doing the same thing. <laughs> so <laughs> what about that? I, I didn't really know that because Logan's voice came far after Rachel's. He was a late, later addition into the story. So. Well, that's actually my next question was talking about a little bit about Logan and how he came to be in the story. I, you know, you said he didn't start off. You didn't start off writing from two points of view. When did that start? Mm-hmm. I was halfway through the book, halfway through my my first draft, and I was talking over the story with one of my good friends, Mandy. She and I kind of bounced plot off of each other. She's also a writer. And there was this, I got to this point where I said, you know, I just don't think the reader's going to want to be in Rachel's head for this entire book. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in her head for this entire book. It's a rough place to be right now. And also, Logan's going to do some really cool stuff, and we're not going to be able to see it. It's going to be all off screen. And, you know, it loses impact when you show up and you go, and by the way, babe, (laughs) I did X, Y, and Z when you weren't (laughs) looking, and I totally, like, broke out of prison. (laughs) You know, that doesn't really go over. I wanted to show it as it was happening. And so there was this long pause after I said that, and then she goes, well, you know what you have to do. And I was like, dang it. I've got to go back and rewrite this book (laughs) and make it a dual POV and put Logan in there. And I'm so glad I did because I felt like Logan's voice is so different. He thinks so differently from Rachel. And it was a nice balance for the reader. Mm -hmm. Plus, we get to see the cool things that he does. But also, I think that it helps. Rachel really loses herself. She loses her way in the book after she makes a couple of decisions kind of in the heat of anger and grief. And it helps us to see her through someone else's eyes to get a different perspective than her own because her own perspective is so bleak. No, I completely agree. And I really actually, I love the Logan in prison scenes. Like they were really, they were really (laughs) powerful. And then when he busted out, it was, it was fun. I'm really glad that you decided to add that to the book. Yeah, that's so fascinating to hear about. Well, we have to ask the question of all mothers that we interview because we are mothers and we want to know your secrets. How do you do it all? (laughs) Especially before the dot. Oh, 
Especially, I think I think that um, the assumption that I do it all is probably really overstretching things because there's a lot of things that fall through the cracks. I think with any working mom, you have that. Uh, for me, sleep is a big thing that falls through the cracks. When I wrote Defiance, and Defiance was a weird thing for me too because most of the books, when I sit down to write them, it takes, especially if I'm new to the world and the characters, I mean, haven't you know dabbled in it before. It usually takes six months seven months, whatever, to come up with the draft. Defiance was two and a half months. And I had four, I have four children. I had just, we had just brought her, our daughter home from China. She was a, a baby. She was like nine months at the time. And I was working 30 hours a week at a day job. And so I look back on that time in my life now, and I'm just like, what was I like smoking for breakfast? I mean, how did I do that? But really, when you, when you know that you have very small windows of time, you capitalize on that. And so I had arranged my schedule at work so that I had every Wednesday off and I would go to the bookstore every Wednesday and just write for about six hours straight. And I did the same thing on Saturdays. And then I would stay up after I got everyone settled in bed about 10 o'clock at night. I would write from 10 o'clock till midnight every night. And since I knew that's all I had, I didn't sit there and fuss around with Facebook or anything like that. It was just Mm -hmm. like, stay offline, put my playlist on because music is really important to my writing process and then just get the words out. And I was able to do a tremendous amount of words in a short period of time. Part of it was the story was just really burning its way out of me in a way that no story has before. And part of it was desperation just because I knew that's all I had. That's amazing. I love that you put that time to good use because so many of us <laughs> would just be like, I'm overwhelmed. I just keep going to Facebook yeah. like, over and over again. I'm like, yeah. you know, I, I know I just checked Facebook five minutes ago, but somebody could have posted a new status update. I need to know There's what it is. There's going to be a new status. There's going to be a funny cat picture, surely. <laughs> exactly. Yes. exactly. And if that fails nice. you, there will be gifts on Tumblr. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Always something. Or Pinterest. Oh, yes. not Oh, Pinterest. Oh, can we just say Pinterest? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's dangerous, dangerous stuff. Well, you published it is. You published an ebook all about part of that being a writer that everyone dreads, the query. Can you yes. share one key thing that aspiring writers should keep in mind about the querying process? One key thing, let me think. <laughs> We, we don't want to yes. limit you here. You can feel free to Actually, talk more. I just didn't get, want to have you give away all your secrets. Yeah. Tease, tease the ebook. <laughs> well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, the book takes you through a process for how to, to write a query in three steps and really how to distill your plot down to its elements and really deliver the query. But I think the thing that people often forget to talk about and they don't tell writers is you should always, always be writing the next thing. And this is true no matter if you have an agent or not. If you have an agent and you go out on submission, it's really rare to sell right away, especially now. Sales have really slowed down for debut books. They're not getting picked up as fast. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for you to build your inventory. And it also helps you to stay away from, you know, pints of Hagen dots while you're sitting there watching Mm -hmm. reruns of Supernatural going, why does no one love me? (laughs) Because you're pouring that energy into something that's constructive and you fall in love with the next project. So my biggest piece of advice to writers who are in that really awful stage of I sent out 20 queries and I'm waiting for everyone to reply to me and it might take months is, you know, just set that aside, write the next project. And then as queries come in, what I always did every time I got a rejection and I got plenty of rejection, every time I got a rejection, I was like, okay, well, that's just your opinion. You can stand there in your wrongness and just be wrong. And I'm going to send out the next query. And I sent out the next query to the next agent. I love it. Such a positive attitude. (laughs) 
Like, and it's really important because it's true. Like, I mean, everyone's going to get rejections and you just have to bounce back and keep working on the next thing. I like that strategy. Mm -hmm. Well, let's jump into some listener questions. Our listener, Shelver, says, could you please give us one idea that you considered using in your story, but for one reason or another, you ended up not using it? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to have to think. I did a lot of editing in the revising process. And let me think if there was something that I... Okay, there was a point where I was going to have the cursed one, um, which is the fire-breathing wingless dragon, burst out of the ground, and I was going to have one of the characters in the book dive down that hole wow. and try to, like, yeah, and try to kill the beast. This was back when I thought Defiance was a single title and not a trilogy, and I thought I could fit a lot more plot into 90,000 words than I could. I mean, there's a lot of plot in there already, but the story is much longer mm-hmm. than that. So that scene might show up in book three. I don't know. But mm-hmm. that was in my head the whole time I was writing. And then I got to the point where it might make sense to put it in. And I said, it doesn't make sense to put it in because because the conflict isn't over. The story, the, the character's journeys aren't over. So I can't sacrifice someone by having them jump down this hole yet. But, <laughs> you know, I am the kind of author that kills people off. So that's always hanging over your head for book three. There you Ooh. go. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, to go with Shelver's question, Diana asks, has there ever been a time where you wish you could change something in your books because you didn't like it but was told to leave it alone? Um, yes and no. Okay. My editor is amazing, and she really gets me. And she does not – her way of editing is, is, well, I think we have a pacing issue here. I feel like it's moving a little too slow. We don't have enough of X, Y, or Z, whatever she's telling me. But she doesn't say you have to fix it by doing this. But there was a moment where she came in and she said – I described something with Rachel after, I, is it okay to do spoilers? Dun, 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 dun. there's spoilers coming. Yes. Okay, now you can. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> there's a point where Rachel, she's already just had all of this loss happen to her. She's seen her surrogate grandfather die in front of her, and she's separated from Logan. She's out. All she has left is the hope that she can find her father, and somehow he'll make this better, and he'll know what to do, and he'll fix things, and he'll help her rescue Logan. And when she gets to the point where she finds her father, she's actually, she finds his grave, and it just breaks her completely. That's the end of it for her. I mean, that just shatters what's left of what's holding her together inside, and she cannot hold up any longer. I mean, she's, you know, she's 16. Mm -hmm. That's a really hard thing to take back to back like that. And I describe it. In what happens inside of her, I describe it as this, she refuses to, to look this truth in the face. She refuses to feel the grief and the emotions. She thinks that to be strong, she shouldn't give in to that and feel that, that she needs to shut herself off from it. And so I describe it as a wall of silence that kind of shows up inside of her and cuts herself off from herself. And when we had gone through most of the editing process, my editor came back with, I, you know, do you mean, maybe you don't mean silence. Maybe you mean she feels numb mm. or maybe you mean she feels empty. And I said, no, coming from someone who had very traumatic events happen to me in my childhood and who did what Rachel did, I decided to not feel it because I thought it would kill me. And so I put myself, I put this wall and I ended up because you cut yourself off from one emotion, you end up cutting yourself off from all of them. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't have one without the other. And so it felt like if I looked inside myself, there was just nothing but silence. And it was this heavy physical presence. And most readers, it's not going to matter how I describe that because they're just along for the ride with Rachel. But the readers that are like me, the readers that need to see how that character can get through that, they're going to recognize it. And so it was really important for me to describe it accurately for those readers. I love that. That's 
That's such a fascinating answer. Well, one of our listeners asked a question that as a librarian, I really love to ask writers this. Tell us about the research you did. Anna wants to know about the research you did to create the world in your series. Like you mentioned city-states. Personally, that took me back to like my college medieval art history classes. Right? Tell yes. me about that. Uh, well, I do research on an as-needed basis. What I'll do is I will create as much of it in my head as I can, and then when I get to a point where I, I think, well, I'm not sure how that would work, or I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, then I go and I start looking that up. Now, I had to do a lot of research for Logan because the boy loves science, and science is like, you might as well just ask me to read something in Greek. I mean, it <laughs> does not make sense to me. And much like math, it, it's just not a comfortable place for me at all. And he does, uh, he builds things. He makes his own batteries, which you can totally do. And, you know, if you're not me, you can do it. And he makes technology. And, and so I had to, I had to sit there and think, well, what technology would have survived? We don't have infrastructure. We don't have wires. We don't have digital. So what could they use? And I came up with um, sonar because mm. you can still use sonar without that. You can build your own batteries if you have um, basic elements and things like that, which, of course, they have because they have access to all of that. They just don't have infrastructure. So I had to do a lot of research for the science, and then I had to research different things like um, how, how hot a fire has to be in order to burn a building. What would a medieval-looking town look like? Where the cobblestones, mm. how, would, how does that look? How does that feel if you're walking on it? Things like that. So I do a lot of looking at imagery just so I could kind of put myself into that picture and imagine what that would be like and then translate that into the book. But most of the hard research was science. Darn it, Logan. (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia going, man, I hope this is correct because I tried to read it on the original (laughs) site and it didn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Thank goodness the internet exists, correct? Oh my goodness, yes. (laughs) Well, Mackenzie Lee asks, if your characters could meet in our world, would they get along? No, no, not at first. (laughs) I, I think... They're both such headstrong people mm-hmm. that I think that they're bound to have conflict between them. So I, I think that they would probably have some conflict no matter what world they were in. But hopefully they would also spend enough time getting to know each other to realize that they have enough common ground and they balance each other enough that they would then figure out a way to get along. But no, I, I think there's probably room for a lot of conflict no matter where they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, Corey asks, if you could speak about the balance of world building, character development, and the plot tying together in your first chapters, like how do you introduce all of these elements without overwhelming your readers? Well, I'll give you a little secret. The first chapter in Defiance, was added second round of edits. It actually, the, my first chapter when I sold the book was, was chapter four. Um, I had her starting out in the marketplace. Just I just kind of like was like, let's go. <laughs> Dump her in there and go. And my editor said, I think we need a couple days of a little bit of normalcy, just a little bit of, you know, a little more setup. So it really is a balancing act. I will be honest with you. Beginnings are my least favorite thing as a writer. <laughs> I have accepted this now as my process, having written several other books that are, you know, with my editor, and I will tell you what, I always rewrite it. And I'm not talking like I rewrite it once or twice. I'm talking 10 times, maybe more, because that balance is difficult. I think that I tend to err on the side of less information is better, because I I really don't like starting a book and then getting two or three pages of info dump to get me situated in the story. I would much rather feel an immediate connection to the character and then be slowly fed the information, the backstory, um, the setting, and things like that. That's my, my own personal preference. So I sometimes I tend to err more on the side of more characterization and less of everything else. And so my editor really helps me find that balance. 
That's what editors are great for. Yeah, definitely. Well, real quick before we wrap things up, we've got to ask you our traditional authors are rock stars question. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take Logan and Rachel and bring them back to our world for a little while. Okay. They need to get a break from their troubles, don't you think? Oh, definitely. <laughs> so we're going to take them out for karaoke. And what would happen if we took them out for karaoke? Who would sing? Do you think they would sing an 80s song? We, we need to know. A yeah. duet, maybe? I think that it would take an act of God to get Logan on a karaoke stage. <laughs> I really do. Because he's so adorably awkward in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think he would be much more... He'd be the person that's in the audio booth going, Oh, my gosh, look at all these buttons. What do they do? And experimenting <laughs> with the spotlights and the all of that. And Rachel would be up there on the stage with a drink in hand and a mic in the other you know, belting out anything that happened to come her way. I don't think she would do a power ballad, though. I really don't think she'd do a power ballad. I think she'd probably do a little bit of, like, the hair bands, the 80s hair bands. Oh, I like it. Fantastic. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to CJ Redwine for coming on the show. That was such a pleasure. I cannot wait for her next book to come out. So excited. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll be back again soon with another... Authors are rock stars.